Hello and welcome to the Dyslexia Mom Boss Podcast, the show that helps you not only feel empowered and knowledgeable, but confident and a boss mom in the dyslexia journey. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren. All right, everyone, welcome back. This is the final episode of season three of the Dyslexia Mom Boss podcast. And, you know, I know I tell you every episode I'm so excited, but I'm like for real excited because this is a longtime colleague of mine and one of my favorite people that I just love to chat with on a regular basis. So I am so excited to introduce my guest today, who is a service provider, friend, colleague, and co-author, Jeanette Robert. Welcome, Jeanette, to the show. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here. It's an absolute pleasure to get to be in this space with you and talk about all of these important things. So bring it on. Yes, yes, and (laughs) yes. So we'll touch on Jeanette's barely articulating and work that she has done throughout this episode. And I'm excited because we are going to delve into neurodiversity in Africa. And so more than often, we know, I shouldn't say we, because I'm really speaking for people of color, but we know that dyslexia appears to be mostly a whitewashed learning difference or disability. But the bottom line is that it hits all countries, all people, all ethnicities, all backgrounds, socioeconomics, you name it. And so Jeanette has a wealth of experience and a variety of different countries in Africa that I really want to touch on. But before we get to that, Jeanette, can you, for people who don't know your work, don't know you, can you just give us your little elevator pitch speech as to who you are in this space and why you are relevant to the Dyslexia Mom Boss podcast? Ooh, why am I relevant? Great question. (laughs) So, man, I would be remiss if I didn't give you a little bit of context into my background. So. I'll try to keep it brief, elevator pitch it, but I will say I've worked as a speech language pathologist. I've worked as a software engineer and the work that I've been doing in both of those spaces has helped me as I've developed a better understanding for neurodiversity and as it relates to children, adolescents, and adults. So my work began with smaller children And as I got older and I learned more, I began to work with older populations. And so the book I wrote in 2019 is Technical Difficulties, Why Dyslexic Narratives Matter in Tech. And that is really a love letter to the technology industry folks who fall into that neurodiversity category and who feel like they are not being heard, their voices don't necessarily matter. And so uh, that's kind of my elevator pitch. Hope that summed up a lot of stuff and you all were able to see and hear the parallels in that work. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually read Jeanette's book. I think I read it in 2020. And what I love about it is it is such a short read. And I really feel that nothing against long books. I think that there's a you know, a time and place for it. But what I love about your book is it's just straight to the point. It's information that is necessary, needed, and you bring in that tech component that I don't think most people 
tend to think about when it comes to dyslexia. And if they do, that's probably their strong suit. And I think you gave them a voice to say, oh, this is how I felt or this is what I can do. So for those of you who are not familiar with Jeanette's book, definitely go check it out on Amazon, right? We can get on Amazon. Is it on Kindle? Is it a hard copy? Tell us where we can find it. My book is available on Amazon. It's also an ebook. And get this, it's an audio book. So you can also find it on Audible as well. And I think I had the most fun recording that in the studio. I thought I was like a big deal behind the um, That is awesome. (laughs) I was going to ask, is it your voice or someone else's? That's cool. my voice. Yeah. And it was just such a fun project. And when you think about dyslexia and you think about comprehension and how that relates to this language-based learning disorder, you understand that audibles and audio experiences are beneficial. So that's why I had to do an audible. I was like, why wouldn't I do an audible? So I definitely don't want this to be all about my book, but I wanted to (laughs) kind of plug that just to give you all some context about how I started you know, with the littles and then somehow another, I started working in the tech sector. And it's a funny, interesting story to um, really tie the two together. Um, When I moved from Mississippi to Michigan, I was looking for a career change. I had worked Mm. as an SOP for like a decade Mm. and I was looking for an opportunity to, you know, be unique, recreate, reinvent myself. And then I fell into this technology bootcamp. And this bootcamp was 12 weeks. I learned how to code in Python, JavaScript, as well as Java. Yeah, it was an intense bootcamp. I was going to say, that sounds intense. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When I tell you stress, baby, it was (laughs) was some stressful nights now. We had homework. I was like, this is harder than getting my master's degree. I would come to class every day just anxious and nervous and all the things. And so once I started working in tech, I feel like I was called back to my work in education as an SOP. And my friend was doing a conference and he was like, why don't you consider, you know, maybe pitching to the conference, tying in some of the work you've done as an SOP and as a technology professional. I was like, well, what about coding for people with dyslexia? And he was just like, oh, we've never had a talk like that before. Yes, absolutely. Do it. And so I think that is the catalyst Mm -hmm. that made me start to realize like, wow. There is a space for this conversation. There are a lot of people who are working as software engineers, as technicians, as data analysts who can fall into that category as having dyslexia or having ADHD or having some type of language-based learning disorder. And it was well-received. So I had audience following up with me afterwards, had a long line after my talk where people were saying, my brother has dyslexia or I think I have dyslexia. I was like, okay. So that was the indicator. Like maybe I need to continue talking about this. (laughs) Yeah. I love that you gave that background because I didn't know that. And I think that you kind of did market research to kind of figure out. I mean, I don't know if that was intentional, but I mean, while you were doing your revamp of yourself, you know, what like Madonna and Mariah Carey do all the time, they 
reinvent yes. themselves. Yes. And you did that. And then it turned into that. And I think that that obviously was a need and was definitely something to touch on. So I actually want to shift the conversation and talk about your travels to Africa. And I think this is so critical because I do have some listeners in Africa, which I think is amazing. Most of my listeners are in the United States. And I think that we need to debunk this myth that dyslexia is really a whitewashed learning difference. And I would just love to hear a little bit more about your travels and doing your talks. What does neurodiversity look like in some African countries? And what are some of the accommodations that they have available for people, adults, students to find success? Excellent question. You are just coming with the good (laughs) stuff. (laughs) So I have to follow through with some good answers. So (laughs) I will say speaking and talking about dyslexia and talking about technology has certainly taken me to some amazing places. Among those would be my favorite continent, Africa. So I know Africa is the birthplace of civilization. And my father is actually from Africa. So it's always had a special place in my heart. And as I've been able to have the opportunity to visit on so many different occasions, it has opened my eyes to quite a bit as it relates to neurodiversity. So I will say, just for context, that Africa does have 54 countries, some disputely say 56, but Mm. I've only been to nine. So there's more room to to explore. (laughs) Yeah, I have more places to visit and I'm excited. I'm actually going to go to my 10th country later this month, Mozambique. So I'm really geeked up about that. But for the places I've been to, I'll just break it down and we'll talk about the regions. I will say one thing that is common across the regions is that when a parent, when families have children who are not typical, Mm -hmm. who are not in that one size fits all, then it's really a detriment to society is what they consider it. I've heard of parents trying to harm the child who could not read or who didn't perform in a specific way. It's it's really rough in some very rural areas. And Mm -hmm. so that's why it's important that we are having these conversations and that people are being enlightened about the fact that Neurodiversity isn't a death sentence. It's not something that is going to be harmful throughout your life. It's simply a different way of thinking. We know neuro, meaning, you know, your brain. It's it's certainly a different circuit, different pathway, you know, all of these different ways we can explain it. But we explain it in these ways because we want parents to understand in a lot of these countries that are underdeveloped or that are under-resourced, that their child is still very much a wonderful asset to their community. And so I've spent some time in West Africa working to create some awareness, to provide some evidence-based research practices. And mainly what I do is trainings. You know, I sit Mm -hmm. down with parents and I talk to them about some very simplistic things they can do Just think of like multi-sensory learning techniques. I break those down. I show them exactly what that looks like. 
And it's interesting because when we think of multisensory techniques, we can easily say, oh, we'll use sand or use rice or use clay or Play-Doh rather. But you have to remember a lot of these countries may not have access to those same things that we have readily available to us. So it's all about finding out what's available in that region and using that as a means of helping them to understand how they can work with their child, how they can implement these simple things in their household, in their day-to-day routines, which will help their child when it comes to encoding and decoding and, you know, everything of that matter. So, yes, that's more of what we do. When I say we, I mean me. (laughs) (laughs) All around the continent. I've seen some countries with a lot better advancements than others, but all in all, it's all about using the resources that they have and showing them how to use them to accommodate their children. Hey, it's your favorite podcast host, Dr. Lauren. Have I told you how much I appreciate you as a listener? Well, if I haven't, I want to tell you just how much I do today. You're the reason I come back every week with top-notch content with guests to help you navigate this DQ journey. But I got to tell you, organizing and getting these episodes up and running doesn't come cheap. I have a fantastic podcast team that takes care of me and you to ensure that episodes are high quality and show notes are detailed and riddled with goodies for you to use and apply for your next steps in this journey. But can I ask you a favor? We'd love to have your support to keep the podcast up and running. You can donate as little or as much as you'd like to support the podcast. All you need to do is go to the link in the show notes or visit our website at thinkdyslexia.me and click support the podcast and it will take you exactly where you need to be. Oh, and one last thing. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, and of course, share this podcast with others who are on the same journey as you. Yeah, okay, so I have... A question, and this is my pure curiosity, but I know my audience is curious too, of course. Mm -hmm. So we were just talking about some of the accommodations and things that, you know, you need to be resourced to know what to do to have it. But let's take a step back. Are there clinicians on the continent? Obviously, as you said, there are 54 countries, but in the places you visited, what does it look like for the clinicians to diagnose? I mean, is that even a topic of discussion? to know, oh, we can diagnose this. What does that look like? Because even here in the States, that's sometimes a struggle. That's a definite layered <laughs> question. I will say this. Listen, so this in Kenya, there were only eight licensed speech pathologists in the whole entire country. What? Like in the whole country. What? Now this is... <laughs> This is a pretty nice-sized country oh my with a, a vast population. And of that population, you can imagine there are children with disabilities and children who have neurodiversities. So yeah, in Namibia, there are only 10 licensed speech pathologists. Wait a second. Okay. where you go. Hold on a second here. <laughs> I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Okay. So wait a second here. All right. Okay. Wow. Okay. 
How did you get that information? Like, is that public Mm -hmm. knowledge? What if a mom is like, hey, I've been following this podcast or hey, I've been looking at Jeanette's post and I think my kid has dyslexia. Do they know like, hey, let me type in SLPs in Kenya. Like, is that public knowledge for them to go find a clinician? Like, how do they get the help they need? You know, that's another (laughs) exceptional question because I will say... (laughs) From my understanding, you know, the government can only provide so much. So there is likely a listing. Now, I know the ins and outs because I've worked with clinicians there. And they've told me about their countrywide organizations. They've told me about their caseloads, which are exorbitant. And, you know, so this is on the ground learning. But I would be intrigued to know if that is online, if that information does exist. Public. Mm -hmm. Some countries don't even acknowledge speech language pathologists. Like there are no graduate programs, no undergrad programs. Why? I mean, and I don't know if it is an intentional type of like skipping over, but I think they're focused on maybe nurses and doctors and psychologists, you know, those allied health professionals like SOPs don't really make the cut. I will also say this, you have some countries, and I'm not going to say any country's name. <laughs> don't okay? name those names. But, <laughs> not name names. Where they have like fraudulent speech therapists. And so when I came in to do a clinic, the lady was telling me, you know, the clinician she had saw prior to, you know, coming to see me, told her that her son needed to chew on raw meat. And oh. when he was chewing on the raw meat, then he needed to try to pronounce the different sounds. And I was, you know, That's I tried to keep kind a straight face. Yeah. I, exactly. I tried to keep a straight face because I'm thinking this is a joke and <laughs> that we both are going to bust out laughing at the same time. So I'm trying to hold back. Like, all right, let me know when the punchline comes. But oh there was gosh. never a punchline. So I'm like, and then the I'm next thing nervous. is her son gets sick from salmonella. Okay. Like, I mean, okay. what? <laughs> oh, gosh. Like, I should have saw me. I was like, fraudulent right, so. SLPs. Yeah, let's not call out any countries now. But No, we don't want to. But I would just say wow. that uh, there's some people with some certifications that's not certifying. Wow. And, uh, it's interesting to see. Let me see. I will say shout out to Ghana. They have a graduate school that I've worked with, and they're really trying to put in some good work. Also, shout out to Smiles for Speech. Yes. That is a nonprofit organization. That, yeah, Sandy Dorsey. um, That put us all in connection with the graduate school there, because I believe they only have one graduate school in the country, but they are pumping out SLPs on Mm -hmm. a um, pretty consistent basis. And what we did with Smiles for Speech is that we went there, we met with the potential SOPs, we mentored them, we worked with the families, and we provided a great model for them. But again, I'm not coming ever to try to save anybody or try Mm -hmm. to push my resources and push my knowledge down their throat. It's like, let's learn from each other. So you show me what you traditionally do. And I'll look at ways in which I can enhance that or or I'll just look at ways in which I can understand 
how you are right. implementing these practices, you know? So it's not always about the enhancement. It's about understanding what techniques they're using. And maybe you can take a note or two. Like, hmm, I right. can try this. I want to shift the conversation to our mm-hmm. book that we okay. just published. Is there a way, because you have such a deep connection and network to a variety of folks on the continent, and I guess we, really, we, should really think about how do we get this book in the hands of the right people? Obviously, we want to educate as much as possible, but would this be received well, knowing the people that you've networked with to say, hey, we have this book written by some great women in the field, mostly SLPs, how would that be received? I think it would be received very well. However, there's a couple of things I'm learning about Africa. And those things are, we have to be mindful that the official language in some of these countries is not English. Right. So first things first, we would have to meet them where they are. For instance, in Angola, I never knew that their first language or their official language was Portuguese. I'm like, what? I learned something new too. (laughs) Yeah. I had no idea. You know, we look at Morocco, which is in Northern Africa, and they speak Arab and French. Mm -hmm. Those are some very common and prevalent languages there. So with that being something that is in our minds, our forefronts, we would have to look at translating the books. Right. And looking at ways that we can get the books out to these communities, because I believe that it would make a big impact. It would make a big difference. And as you stated prior to us kind of diving deep into this conversation, you know, dyslexia is everywhere. It's not just in low socioeconomic areas or it's not just in, you know, American areas. It's like all over the world. So There is dyslexia here on the continent and Mm -hmm. we would have to figure out how to break through a lot of these barriers to get our resources in the right hands. Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head. And as I'm really processing all the information you're Mm -hmm. saying, I think that this can obviously be an ongoing discussion, you know, like several episodes down the line. And I think I definitely want to bring in some of the colleagues I've met over the years in Ghana to really talk about what does it look like? What does the landscape of dyslexia look like? Because there are some countries, as you said, that are more progressive in the Mm -hmm. diagnostic process, in the accommodation process, in the speaking awareness process. Because Mm -hmm. I did a virtual conference last August at a pediatric conference where there were like 500 parents there and they were all there to learn like what is dyslexia, what is dysgraphia, what is dyscalculia, dyscalculia, and how do I help my child? And it was just so amazing to see that, you know, the power of the internet, first of all, that I could be in the comfort of my home, but still educating a whole bunch of people. Actually, I think it might've been people in a variety of different African countries which mm-hmm. makes it even better to bring that back to their home, their communities and all of that. So I really want to continue this conversation because as I said, we don't really talk about what this looks like in most places where there are people that look like us. Yeah. <laughs> so I just yeah. want to always you know, bring that to the forefront, knowing that we are both Black Americans right here. Yeah. 
So we are coming to the end of our episode, Jeanette. No. And I know you and I, I know, right? You and I could talk forever, but I like to keep it a little short and compact because I need people to come back each week. Yes. But before, <laughs> but before we, we you are right? All. No, they're not bored. They're not bored. But, you know, I like to chunk my information. So can you let people know where can they find you? All that good stuff. Talk a little bit about Barely Articulating if you would like to give us a little bit of landscape of the business side of because right. <laughs> I'm a business woman. So, um, <laughs> so you can always find me on the continent. I will be around somewhere hanging out amongst, you know, some, some people that look like me and just learning from people here. It's just so much to learn in Africa. So you can find me there. But if you want to know where to find me online, uh, you can find me at Barely Articulating. I'm across all social media sites. Barely Articulating is a company I created in 2015 and started as a tutoring service for children with language-based learning disorders. I also provided speech and language therapy services. And then I kind of branched into doing more trainings with schools, more webinars with parents. And now my work is mainly with corporations and large scale companies. So I do a lot of dialogues and discussions with companies about how they can be more inclusive in their hiring practices and their retainment and their just every day to day with their employees who may be neurodiverse. So I'm able to reach back into my speech and language bag and reach into my software engineering bag and use those assets in my arsenal to talk about accommodations for adults. You know, what does that look like in the workplace? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So all of those links to contact Jeanette will be in the show notes. And if you just want to book a flight somewhere, one of those countries, <laughs> she might be it there. Might be Let me know. And I'll, meet you. I'll meet you somewhere in Africa. <laughs> I love it. Yes, South, it doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's a big, it's a big chunk of land. <laughs> so thank you, Jeanette, for your time. As always, I love chatting with you and I definitely want to have you back on the show. Yes. Part two in the works. Part two in the works. See you guys next week. <laughs>